Hey, this is Jyothi Sarda, founder and producer of Nimble Media, LLC. And if you want to learn the six and seven figure science to success, significantly increase your revenue and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you should definitely be listening to Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, the amazing Stacy O'Byrne. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven-figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I'm really excited to get into today's episode and really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business and your success, or maybe you just want more and you understand the importance of having a coach to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, and your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a personal phone call with me to see if we're a great fit for each other. All right, let's do this. Today, I'm speaking with a good friend of mine, Jothi Sarda. Jothi Sarda brings 20 years of a senior level global marketing executive with major studios and blue chip brands to developing impact creating documentary and narrative content through her company, Nimble Media LLC. Currently, she is the producer of the award winning POV PBS documentary series, and she could be next. Following the movement led by women of color, transform politics as candidates and organizers. Her next project is the feature film around the life of Lily Ledbetter, fair pay icon. She is also co-executive producer of Equal Means Equal, an award-winning documentary feature that is unflinching examination of the discrimination against women built into the U.S. legal system. Until 2016, Jothi was vice president of marketing at Paramount Home Media, where she led all facets of global marketing operations for Paramount partner brands while overseeing international acquisitions. Prior to Paramount, she worked at 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. Jothi serves on the boards of Global Girl Media, an organization that trains young women to become civically engaged through citizen journalism, and Lane, a leading LA-based social justice nonprofit. She is intently focused on improving the diversity of elected officials and 
the electorate. Also, PBS opened up a few free streaming windows of her documentary, and she could be next. Given the relevance of their story to our previous election in Georgia. Our listeners can watch it for free until January 24th at and she could be next.com slash watch or on the PBS app on smart TVs. Jothi, thanks so much for joining us. I know you have a busy schedule and I really appreciate you being on the show today. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Yeah, thanks so much. You know, I'm so excited about our listeners getting to know you and and hearing about your journey. The conversations you and I have had offline have been amazing and your journey is incredible. And I know that they're going to get an immense amount of insights. So I just want to jump right into it. You have a very interesting background. Tell me about it. Well, I, uh, I mean... I was born here in the United States. My father uh, actually came here, went to uh, Stanford University. And so I I sort of started off on that uh, kind of path as an immigrant's daughter, right? So um, for those of you who aren't, don't fall in that designation. That means you work very hard. Uh, It means you uh, are really striving to sort of, you know, carve out your place and uh, of course, earn as much money as you can. <laughs> that's, that's part of the mantra. Um, at any rate, I ended up, uh, you know, going to USC and then entering, uh, I, I, I got my first job at an advertising agency uh, and a big one. It was J. Walter Thompson at the time. And, and, you know, I sort of spent the next, that part of my career in advertising, which was amazing because I learned a lot about branding and um, positioning and really thinking through uh, how changes in a society impact business mm-hmm. uh, and vice versa. There's a lot of interplay. And mm-hmm. then um, at that point, there was a good, you know, chunk of time. Uh, there was changes happening in that industry. It was fragmenting. The big, I worked at, my last big company was Ogilvy and Mather. So it's still around. But what was happening is big companies were starting to lay off round after round of layoffs. And this is going to be a theme. Those people would go off and spin off and, and form their own companies and little mm-hmm. companies, right? And I observed this happening and I was trying to think about what my place would be. So I, I actually went back and got my MBA. That's what I decided to do. That enabled me to move into a marketing role at 20th Century Fox. That was a big leap actually, but it was a probably a year and a half process to get myself to the point where I could present myself as someone who can make that that transition. Uh, And then fast forward, I spend 10 years uh, basically in the entertainment industry. And again, I'm I'm starting to see fracturing and distribution landscape, which impacted the part of the business that I was in, home entertainment. And so I, again, started to try to think about what my role might be. And, you know, like I said, I'm really trying to compress a lot of time here, but I felt like I was ready to start out and do something on my own. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started to investigate what those paths might be using the tools I had learned in my prior transitions. And uh, I ended up joining a, a streaming startup, which did not work out, 
But then I decided to uh, start a documentary project, which did work out and is now um, airing on PBS. It's called And She Could Be Next. It's a two-part series that I made with my two partners. Nice. Uh, and so that's my, my mini journey. Nice. Now, now you, you held some pretty big, comfortable positions in, Indeed. in, in that industry, correct? I did. I mean, I, I left Paramount as a vice president of marketing. It was, as I used to call it, a perfectly good job. <laughs> really great colleagues, uh, very comfortable salary, and a lovely place to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, it, it is that this journey is a little bit also about moving from comfort to discomfort. But along the way, you find something else that replaces the comfort, which is very exciting. It's yeah. you know, sort of passion, I guess you might call it. So is, is your father, who held high standards for you, how mm-hmm. did he take it when you left your large job? Well, so my father uh, wasn't around. He passed away in 2005. Sorry. But no, thanks. Uh, I, I will say that my father never really understood what adver- the field of advertising was. So he only responded to the titles that I held. So <laughs> gotcha. when I was first made vice president in the advertising realm, he thought, well, okay, I don't really understand what advertising does. Mm-hmm. And if this is something you do with a college degree, but uh, I respect the degree. And in the end, you know, it's interesting because I think my father had some entrepreneurial instincts, but... Uh, it isn't always the path that one follows when you're trying to sort of establish status and security and, you know, financial reward. Uh, mm-hmm. It feels like that path needs to go through companies. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned in retrospect is actually it's the entrepreneurs that and the risk takers that often reap those rewards. Mm-hmm. You know, these are just things that you end up having to discover. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, our entire system is developed for, for when kids get out of school or they graduate high school or college, their, their, their understanding is they go into another structure. And that structure is jobs or business or corporations or fill in the blank, whatever. I, I, I think that it's just been this past decade maybe a little longer that we've really seen this entrepreneurial movement. And I think it really started post 9-11 because post 9-11 created uh, a, a huge layoff environment and people had to figure out what it is they were gonna do. And it, it, this, this reluctant entrepreneurism emerged. And uh, you and I had talked about this the exactly. other day. And, and I'm really getting excited to, to go into this. I, I have a few more questions for you though about your background. How hard was it for you to, to take a leap of faith, trust yourself, jump off of that cushy corporate job that was, was a good job and it was an okay place to work as, as you had said. How, how was it for you to jump off and, and trust yourself and pursue your dream? It was... Uh actually quite difficult and and it may be hard for others to understand, but that's where I, why I brought my father up, why I brought my 
sort of social construct up because it literally, I think if my father were alive, he would have really tried to convince me not to do it because right. it just didn't follow sort of the mandate, the, the, the pre-laid path for success. Uh, you know, security and safety were prioritized over sort of the, what might be the potential reward. <laughs> and um, I must say that it was the third phase of my career, right? So I had already... Uh, pursued the predictable path. And it was only having done that, that I felt like I had the, um, also the, the confidence, the, the sort of skill set um, to be able to convince others that, you know, to follow my vision, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even with all of the, you know, accomplishments that you might say I had, it was incredibly unnerving to actually make that change because the more success you have, the more you want to sort of preserve your identity um, as being successful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's nice to have a business card that reads Paramount Pictures, frankly, if I'm going to (laughs) be honest about it. Mm -hmm. Um, It it is an identity. Uh, What is your identity when you say, I'm working on a documentary. And, you know, I think it's going to explore politics. Like I didn't have a definition even for it Mm -hmm. and I hadn't done it before. So it puts you already back into some sort of struggling fill in the blank slot, which no one really wants to take on as an identity. Right. Right. So, so you, you had brought up when you were talking about your journey that you had foresight in trends in the industry that were shifting you know, that's a really powerful tool because as business owners and entrepreneurs, we have to be fortune tellers. We have to be able to predict what's going to happen in our industry. And if you don't, then you spend a lot of time chasing. And if you're wrong, then you spend a lot of time focusing on, on things that really couldn't or wouldn't serve you. So we have to be ready to pivot at any minute, right? And, and I say that tongue in cheek because that mm-hmm. seemed to have been the word last year in 2020, pivot, pivot. And my company, uh, I named my company decades ago, Pivot Point Advantage, because I knew we always needed to pivot. My company is Nimble Media. <laughs> I love <laughs> another, I love Another, name. yeah, idea. Absolutely. So, so where did that foresight come from? Is, is it innate within you? Is it intuition? Is it educated? Is it a combination of all of the above? What is it? You know, I don't know that that I might have an extra good, you know, spidey sense about these things. But the mm-hmm. truth is, if you're a marketer, um, if you're in business, I mean, the truth is you you put you actually observe trends anyway in order to do your job. I think the key is what you do with the information that is sitting in front of you. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would often be sitting in, you know, my corporate jobs, Mm -hmm. looking at industry trends, understanding that the technology, uh, you know, in this case, it was entertainment technology was shifting. I was working at Fox when Hulu was first introduced and, you know, everyone wanted to say that it wasn't going to have an impact on the DVD business, but you could see it happening. You could read the numbers. Then the thing is you're often very invested as a company or an individual in what currently exists, right? So 
we wouldn't do anything. We wouldn't act in the way maybe a true entrepreneur who felt like they had less at stake uh, might act to try to take advantage of what was clearly happening. Um, I feel like that's often the case. We can see it. You can sense it. You can look. I mean, look at the world right now. It is rapidly shifting. There is no question that what we do and how we work is going to change radically during the pandemic and post-pandemic. And if that's not clear, let us tell you it will shift radically. And you can already look at the behavior that is currently, you can see people changing the way they do things. Do you think they're going to go back? Do you think people are going to go back to real pants? You know, I'm using that as an example. But, um, and so then the question you have to discuss is, or think about in yourself is, what are you going to do? And I think that's the thing that was the biggest shift for me. I have always seen, yes, oh, the industry is shifting. What is my role in it? I have managed to find the next corporate step, but the one that required me to become an entrepreneur was the most difficult, for sure. Mm -hmm. So... So that leads me to, you didn't take a very small step from corporate to entrepreneurism. You took a huge step from corporate to entrepreneurism. You you just jumped off the cliff, built a plane and learned how to fly on the way down. So so tell us about your documentary. I, I, I believe the title is And She Can Be Next, yes. correct? Yes. So, so, so what, what motivated you to make that pursuit and share with us a little bit about what it is? Cause in my humble opinion, that was huge. <laughs> that was a huge step. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, I had, look, I came from a business where I marketed and even acquired documentaries and other small films. And um, so I knew a little bit about that part of the business, by the way, knowing that actually does not prepare you as much as you might think for actually making the content. So kudos to all those storytellers and content makers out there, because it is not the same thing as um, selling it. Having Mm -hmm. said that there are skills in common, you know, you're, you're storytelling your vision, right? You know, you're, you might not be telling the, the thread of someone else's narrative, but you have to, speak to your own narrative. And that's something that I feel like as I stepped out to do it, um, people would respond because I I did have sort of a a track record of having accomplished other things. Mm -hmm. Um, But the real key to it, so first of all, I don't know why. It was like an idea and then it just sort of rolled downhill and gathered speed, you know, to Mm -hmm. be honest. It Mm -hmm. isn't like I plotted it so carefully that I could say, you know, follow my guideline for success. No, <laughs> it was more like, you know, this idea I'd had to sort of step off and ca- this carefully chosen path of I'm going to leave uh, my comfortable job and step into the future of the industry by joining a well-funded streaming startup. It, it evaporated in months. Mm-hmm. It didn't get around to funding and it just was not meant to be. So Mm -hmm. then I had to find something else to do. And that might've even, if I'm again, and I am being candid, I think I really wanted to also have something to be doing. I, you know, that is an uncomfortable thing to just sit there and and not have something Mm -hmm. productive. That's for me anyway. And I had the idea. I met someone. I, 
I was observing changes in, you know, I would say our, our representation. This was, by the way, early 2016. So none of whatever you might think has been happening in the last four years was really on the horizon. This was when I chose to make the documentary, I just thought it would be an interesting subject. Mm -hmm. That was really it. So, and, so the subject's I, women in politics. It was women in politics. It was yeah. the idea of representation, mm -hmm. really. mm -hmm. um, but women being a broad enough topic. And then we focused in as we moved along to women of color in mm -hmm. politics. And, and we followed six women running for office in the 2018 cycle. And one of them was Stacey Abrams. So it really did give, and another was Rashida Tlaib. So it, and whatever you might think of those ladies, it, it gave us a chance to view like sort of a transformation that was happening in mm -hmm. the way political campaigns were being run. And so I feel that's that that's the value of, of the project is to show, you know, something change, mm -hmm. is to show change of some sort. Um, now, I had never made a documentary. So one of the things I did do is set about finding a partner who, who was experienced. Mm -hmm. And um, when people have asked me for, you know, sort of that roadmap, I said, you know, one idea you could uh, consider is really, if you don't have the experience, but you have this vision, you could go find partners to help you accomplish that vision. Mm -hmm. uh, that does come with some downsides. You have to share control. You yeah. have to no, it's no longer your vision. It's mm -hmm. our vision. Yeah. And sometimes our vision isn't quite like your vision. So <laughs> um, there were those things that happened. But ultimately, I am quite sure that, because um, I'm very proud of the final product. It's a well-made, as well as I feel a compelling story, but it's a well-made yeah. two-part documentary series. And, you know, my partners, there was two of them besides myself, are absolutely critical to, to making that happen. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there, there's no right or wrong, what, whether you go it alone or go it with partners. Reality is, I, I think what I gathered out of that, that message was surround yourself with people who know more than you do or know or have information in other areas that you don't so that the blind spots get exposed and they're effortlessly worked through. You can do that through partners, you can do that through mentors, you can do that through masterminding, you can do that through coaches. There's a lot of different ways to do it, none right or wrong. For me, I had a bad partnership experience, a horrific one, more like a nightmare. It was kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street Part 10. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and the listeners know, I mean, there was a huge lawsuit involved, you know, it was just not fun. And 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 for me, it's building building a corporation and surrounding myself with people smarter than me that can help take us to the next level. And I have a coach in every area of life. That's how I do it. Like you said, when when you venture into partnerships, you there's good and bad, and you just have to weigh your odds to, to, to see which best fits for you. You made a really interesting comment. You and I are a lot alike from the standpoint of sitting still is like tying Tigger down and saying, I'll see you in a week. <laughs> you know, I would just, I would explode. For me, sitting still just doesn't happen. And most people say something along the lines of, 
for me, it was important to stay busy. You said for me, it was important to have something productive. And I love that you chose that word because I think a lot of mistakes people make who either don't know what to do or don't know what they should do is they just do something, the busy work. And mm -hmm. success doesn't happen with being busy. Success happens with being productive. I'm really curious as to what made you choose that word because that's a very key word. Well, I have to be honest. I think I, I am a fan of that word because I, I, I often really try to look at the way I'm using my time. Uh, I frequently declutter, if you will, mm -hmm. not only my surroundings, but you know, my activities to really try to hone in because to me, productivity means that my time has value and therefore I'm valuing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So there's a, you know, it, it does tie into passion. It's not about being productive as in churning out more things. It's about accomplishing something that has value, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I felt confident that that was a, a topic I wanted to tackle and I wanted to talk about, even though I didn't, I wasn't an expert in it. Um, the other thing I wanted to just really quickly said, because I, I love what you said about surrounding yourself with people who um, have experience, who know more than you do. I didn't, I didn't just quite drop into taking on a new project. I had been talking to people about what my journey should be from the safety of my job for easily a year. I had explored uh, startup mentoring. I had just had really uh, specific coffees, if you will, back when we used to be able to go out and have lunch or have coffee. And, and I would often choose people who were not in my field, mm -hmm. just first of all, to, to put myself in a mode of learning. So when I finally chose, by the way, a project, it, it did come out of a place of having done a bit of research, mm -hmm. um, having been in a learning phase so that I, I felt like confident in, in that, mm -hmm. that I had done something. I didn't just randomly grasp at some straw to start spending my time doing that. Nice. Nice. I, I, I love that. And so, I was doing other things, you yeah. know, so just as people do, um, people have numbers of different projects that they work on. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious when you made the transition from, from your paramount vice president job to starting your own company, did your definition of success change? Okay. So again, this is like, you know, just really being candid. So yeah. with the hopes that it helps. Uh, when I left my job, I knew I needed, I felt very strongly that it was the time to get to the forward-looking part of my business. Mm -hmm. So I, I took a calculated risk in joining, as I said, that streaming startup. Why? because streaming was the future of the business. Remember, this was 2016. Now everyone is watching streaming channels. It was yeah. still pretty prevalent, but I knew that would be the future. I didn't have the background. So when you imagine that scenario where you're laid off, you think, well, I would love to get a job at, let's fill in the blank of the company. It's like, well, they'll probably pick people who already have experience in that 
you know, even if you might be able to translate your skills. So I, I did have some methodology in trying to pick something that would get me, would have a narrative about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't, it wasn't as random as it might sound. Then the, the deciding to create a documentary or, you know, I, I'm now working on a feature actually. So the decision to become a content creator um, was a little bit more of a leap, obviously, but again, it, it tried to come from an informed place. I had been surrounding myself with um, people who were in the content making field. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had some skills. There's a way to lay out the path, but you still have to ultimately take a you know, deep breath and, and kind of do it. So, so your, your definition of success, having, having that vice president title, right? Yeah. So, and then becoming an entrepreneur, does the way you personally define success, did that shift from when you went from a job to entrepreneurism? Yes, yes. And that was the original question. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Yes, uh, it did, but it, it happened slowly because my original yeah. definition of success was put myself in another, you know, get a bit of learning so I could then be hired by another corporation that mm-hmm. was at the forefront of the industry. Mm-hmm. So the whole, the original path was get hired again, mm-hmm. you know, just, just take this little bit of a leap uh, and then get hired. And then the, the definition of success started to change much more as I had spent time outside of the corporate world. I want to say it was only six months later that I decided after I'd left Paramount, I left in January and I, I started this uh, project in June, May actually. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that long afterwards, but I had been far enough away that my concerns about what my former coworkers, what the industry, how the industry was going to view me, you know, those were starting to shift. I was starting to spend my time with different people, mm-hmm. uh, more entrepreneurial people, and starting to see how they carved out those lanes. And that's maybe also about spending time with people who are already engaged in the activities that you aspire to is another thing that might be a good practice. I love it, I love it. So you and I uh, had a conversation last week about this topic and a little bit before uh, we started recording and you you touched on it a few minutes ago where, where you brought up radical change is happening in the way we do business. And, and the reason why I've wanted the listeners to hear your journey is because of the conversation you and I have had offline. And that has to do with, you know, uh, the, the listeners have heard me say in several episodes, in my humble opinion, I believe the bear's been poked. I believe corporate America has their eyes wide open now. You know, they've had to do some significant pivoting to keep their, their stockholders happy, their, their, their bottom line moving. And I think through that process, they have learned that they can do a heck of a lot more with a heck of a lot less. So they've realized that really the only overhead they need right now is an employee's home give their employee a cell phone, a laptop and a Zoom account and let them go to town and put some sort of monitoring or mirroring system to make sure that the work's being done. So I think what's gonna happen in my opinion is we're gonna see 
uh, several more rounds of shakeouts, whether it's called furloughs or layoffs or fill in the blank, however they wanna wrap it with a nice bow. And I also believe they're gonna blame COVID and they're gonna wrap it all under COVID when reality is if people really investigated, they realize it was just a profit and loss decision that they made more on their bottom line and made their shareholders happy. Nothing wrong, business is about making profits, right? However, it's time to wake up if you have a job. It's time to have that spidey sense. It's time to start looking at what's going on in your industry because shift is happening. Change is happening. And the way businesses are moving forward to do business is either going to help you or hurt you. And it was really important for me, to, for, for you to hear Jothi's journey so that you can realize you really do control your destiny. You might not be able to control what is happening at the moment. You can definitely control how you respond to it. So I say all that to say, I really wanna start talking about the transition because Jothi, let's face it, yours, your journey was planned, right? You, there was a time where you jumped off the cliff and no matter how planned that is, it's still scary, right? I physically lost my job. I got laid off because of 9-11. And for me, I know what it's like uh, to go through a major world event like 9-11 and then for me, I got laid off on December 10th. So it was a couple months later. And this is after being with a company for 13 plus years. I had a very high six figure income. You know, I traveled 200,000 miles a year for this company. I, I thought I was set, right? What advice do you have to give to these people who? who are in a job now and uncertain as to what's going on or have maybe just furloughed or just gotten laid off, what can they do? Well, I think this is, I agree with um, everything that you just laid out, Stacey. I mean, it, it really feels pretty obvious that we're going through major transformative um, you know, shifts in our economy and our culture, everything, everything mm -hmm. is, changing rapidly at this, we're just at that moment. And I think that probably will continue for several years. I don't think this is just the pandemic. Right. Um, so what can we do? Uh, I would say if you're lucky enough to be sitting there secure in a job working from home, uh, you have the opportunity to start your research, to start thinking, you know, it, all of these journeys for me started with the thought, well, what would I do if I were laid off? I never ended up being laid off, mm -hmm. but it started me to think about taking stock of, you know, what I was good at and also what I enjoyed about what I was doing and what I would love to improve on. Mm -hmm. And then I would go out and find people to talk to. And I think this may be the benefit of us all being in front of our computers. I think you can schedule virtual coffee dates yeah. with people. I mean, it may take, maybe people have a bit of Zoom fatigue, but maybe they'll get on the phone with you. Mm -hmm. um, the idea being that you, or, or just seek people within your own network mm -hmm. um, and, and, and do the research. So what does that mean, the research? 
it's not only getting a sense of what's happening outside of the job you do, because I've found anytime I'm sitting there in a um, sort of siloed work structure, I'm often not quite as plugged in to what's happening in the broader world. So just talking to other people about what they're doing and learning a little bit, because it may help you make some connections about a trend that's happening over here that fits with the skill set you have and that you might be able to take advantage of. And you just can't plan that. You have to just put yourself in a listening mode and, um, and starting to take some stock of paths you could follow and then exploring them, finding the people who could be good connections. I like to say network, but network a little, if you have the advantage of you know, already being employed, you don't have to network to find a job. You can network to just gain information, which is a nice way to build a relationship before you might activate that as a, um, you know, a transition point, actually. Mm -hmm. So those are the things I did. And I learned that with my first transition, and then I just kept getting better at it. I would actively put myself in a, you know, learning mode, and I would start to ask people who I should be talking to. And I would just go out and seek those interesting people and those lunches. And they did lead to brainstorms that did lead to ideas that, um, and then I would follow some of those ideas. That's the other thing you have to not just have the brainstorm, you have to sort of think, well, if I were to take this path, what what would it look like? And then you can do all of that if you have uh, the safety, I think, of a current job. It's harder when you're actively looking for a job. But in some instances, I've talked to people who they've just lost their job, but they have a bit of runway. So they can still take on that activity. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny and it's not uh, that, that most people don't understand the power of networking. Something you don't know about me is I've built two seven-figure businesses 100% through word-of-mouth marketing. Uh, I had no online presence, no media presence, nothing. Now, that's definitely changed over. uh, We started that shift pre-pandemic. We started uh, establishing an online presence and everything before uh, COVID had hit. And, And for me, I preach relationships. I preach networking. I preach networking from a referral marketing perspective and networking from a relational perspective, both inner industry and outer industry. And and one of the things that, that I really got out of what it is you just said was go into every conversation, go into every relationship with the most open mind that you're capable of. Because there are two different types of mindset, an open mindset and a closed mindset. A closed mindset will sit there and go, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, that won't work. I can't do that. How do you know? Unless you've tried, how do you know? The rule of thumb we have in our house is if there's a food you don't like, you get to try it again in a year. And we keep trying it. Like for me, I wouldn't eat broccoli for 30 years. And now it's like one of my favorite vegetables. And I know there's people listening right now that just fell off their chair because I'm a vegetarian and I don't, I I would not eat broccoli, but now I do. (laughs) So I say all that to say, don't ever say something won't work or you don't like something until you try it. And 
you allowed yourself the openness to at least gather information and then implement what fit you, what served you without just instantly shutting it down. Yeah, I think it's it's trying not to be too transactional. Also, if you only go into a conversation looking for either the connection or a job a lead, then you may not even get that and you will have lost the value of what else that person has to offer. <laughs> and it's sort of difficult to do that. But I think part of that is you form your own narrative. Let's not forget that, you know, yeah. you have to have a reason why that person should be spending time with you. Try to think about what, you know, you can offer if you, everyone has something. And then as you said, yeah, it, you absolutely um, need to just really, it, it's it's um, 360 degree relationships, right? Yeah. It's not just um, that one narrow aspect. And I think sometimes when people are anxious, they they tend to just focus on the the one thing that they need and that's missing the bigger opportunity. And then the other part of it is, you know, maybe stretching uh, to reach out to people who you don't know um, and who may be very successful in, in a certain field you're interested in. Mm-hmm. You'll be surprised how generous people are. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be afraid of asking um, and reaching out. I agree. You know, people who people who have a strong mindset, people who truly are successful, show up in service. And when you, when you go in with intention, when you go in, like you said, with a 360 degree uh, intention for a relationship, then how can someone not be of service? How can someone not share their time? Because it'll be a win-win at a minimum. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious and, and I'm, I'm going to touch a sensitive subject today and, 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 and I want to do so respectfully, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and as, as most of our listeners know, I am in a same sex marriage. I've been with my partner for almost 20 years, you know, you started, um, and she could be next with the intention of, of, of showing, uh, women in politics and then and then women in color in politics diversity mm-hmm. as as a woman in a very high male dominated industry right what what were your struggles if any and and I'll share with you after you answer why I asked okay well you know one of the things that's interesting when you're in um, the goldfish bowl is you tend to think, I mean, I I had some success, you know, so it wasn't like I was completely um, limited in in what I could do. But you realize that the tension is that you always feel like you're not quite fitting in. You know, there's a cultural dissonance. And afterwards, you realize that might not have been you that is what happens, by the way, and why I define success differently now than mm-hmm. I did when I was in my, you know, salary job. Mm-hmm. And just to come back to that question, because how I feel now, I feel so much more confident and able to take on the next big project for having gone through this process. Mm-hmm. And I, I never felt like that in all my years of working in these big companies. So back to, so 
I use an example. It's not a very nice example. I'm not going to name the gentleman, but he was the head of the division I was working. And there were two women, those were a, a black woman. Um, it was a marketing executive and there was myself and we had some counterparts on a piece of business. And we were once, he once called me her name. I, I mean, I worked with this gentleman day in and day. I think he just did it accidentally, but it was, it reminded me that I was in some slot or something. And I, it, I've never forgotten it because I was so taken aback. I so clearly don't look like her. She was six feet, five, you know, <laughs> but we both had brown skin. Okay. So. Uh, so that is an example, but there are a lot subtler examples of being told you're not aggressive enough. You're too aggressive. Uh, you need, you know, just like working at soft skills that you keep thinking, okay, I did that, or I've worked on that, but it's never quite, your intuition is never quite on. Mm -hmm. You know, if you ever have that feeling like, I don't get it. I'm always like a little bit off. I felt like I was struggling a lot. And and, and by the way, it was all internal because I, I did have, you know, lots of, I can point to lots of accomplishments mm -hmm. during these years. I'm happy to have spent that time. I would not have been able to accomplish certain things without working in a bigger structure. Mm -hmm. um, but how I feel about myself, you know, I have my, part of my job is to go out and ask people for money. I'm mm -hmm. asking them to invest in my project. It's just like a startup right? Mm -hmm. uh, invest in something that hasn't materialized yet. So you have to have the confidence to go and sell your vision, if you will, to someone. Uh, I, I felt like I didn't quite, I wasn't able to capture that working in a company, but I really found it afterwards. So mm -hmm. if I, I often think if I were to go back in a company, would I you know, show up in a more powerful way? Because I feel more powerful now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry if I, I'm not sure if I quite answered your question, but you there are a lot of subtle it. and very obvious cues that you don't belong here, or mm -hmm. we want you at, over there, mm -hmm. <laughs> not, you know. So, so Jyothi, you, you, you perfectly answered it. And, and I had pre-framed all of this that I would share with you why I asked it, you know, because you have, you've been working on this topic for four years. So this is innate in you and you've been, you've been watching the journey of, of several women. And look, this isn't about discrimination or gender setbacks or anything like that. It's, it's, there are a lot of women out there that are juggling households and juggling kids and juggling being teachers to their, their at-home school children right now and a professional and partially responsible for generating the income in their household, which is why I asked this and, and I'll roll into you even deeper why. So, you know, I, I served our country. I was in the army for, for several years and, and I was in the army when, well, it was the, the late eighties and, and early nineties. And, and, you know, it, it, it wasn't, quite a thing yet for women to be in combat, but it did become. And I had, I was recruited to West Point. So in the army, I, I had uh, a significant amount of discrimination at that time because women were viewed differently. 
then after I got out of the military, I jumped into corporate America and, uh, you know, I applied what I learned from the army in corporate America and climbed the ladders very quickly. So much so that in my early twenties, I was uh, the purchasing manager, materials manager, production control supervisor for uh, this high tech company. And we had secured uh, a very high fortune 100 company i will keep its name out of here and uh, they didn't want to do business with them because they didn't they didn't think i was old enough or seasoned enough to run their millions of dollars worth of inventory so they hired a front man to to work with this one corporation while i did all the work they just paid him $50,000 more a year. And he did nothing but read a paper, except for when they came in, he sat in meetings, came back, told me what to do. And then I did it all. And he didn't know our industry at all. So when I left that job, and then I started my sales career on the other side in the same industry, I was in the high tech industry. I climbed the corporate ladder really quick again. I went from making minimum wage to six figures in a year, and then from six figures to high six figures in about three and a half, four years. And um, being a lesbian in a male-dominated sales industry, uh, I got held back a lot. As a matter of fact, I was told I wasn't allowed to have pictures of my daughter in my office because she was born out of sin through artificial insemination. I could go on and on. And... Uh, all that, that entire journey got in my head so much, it would hold me back from being the best version of me because I was always worried about what other people were thinking of me. And when I jumped off the cliff and became a reluctant entrepreneur, um, my journey of that, I built a seven figure business, which got embezzled from me. And after it got embezzled from me, my business partner then sued me to make my lawsuit look fraudulent. And people kept asking me, how do you build success so easily? How do you build success so easily? And it made me step back and realize I had tools most didn't, which is how pivot point advantage got incepted. And one of my coaches had said, you need to start speaking. In order to train, you need to start making an impact. You need to get in front of people. And that voice in my head, the itty bitty shitty committee kicked in and it's like, I'm gonna get judged. You know, people are going to start thinking about me, talking about me, not, not saying nice things about me. And look, there are haters out there. When, when my social media team deploys social media, there's always negative comments. And I'm sure what I'm saying now is gonna rub people wrong and that's okay. I'm not for anybody and for people who wanna make a difference. And, and I say all that to say, there came a point in this journey where I realized other people's opinions of me is none of my business. And when I embraced that, it allowed me to be the best version of me every day because any judgment they have is something inside of them that's about them. Anything that I allow to get out of my way stops me from being the best version of me and serving my purpose. So if there's any advice that I can give anybody out there, get out of your head. What they think is on them, not you. That was why I asked that question. Oh, that is such a powerful story. And thank you so much for your service, by the way, Stacey. You know, what's interesting about this is I don't have your trajectory, 
but I completely 100% connect to, to that feeling of not being my full self in, in that position, not kind of when you are so busy, when you're not allowed to kind of comfortably thrive, you are second guessing. So that's the problem with that cultural dissonance. Mm -hmm. And think about that. If you're ever feeling like you're working with people who are different than yourself, you've really, we've all got to work at that because, and that's what I think this, for me, what this documentary is about, it's about making sure that there's full representation. And even though it's uncomfortable, so that better decision-making, better ideas, all of that comes forward because there's a whole audience out there of people who feel connected to you because of your journey. Mm -hmm. I hope there are people who feel connected to me for the things that I've done. And if we don't speak up and if we don't sort of fully occupy ourselves, you know, then how are we going to all see each other and help each other out? So, I mean, I couldn't, when, as you were talking, I was like, yes, I feel so much more, alive, uh, powerful, uh, creative, um, capable, Mm -hmm. even though, I mean, I, like I said, I did enjoy having that business card. I won't tell you, but who I am is, is, is so much more like able, Mm -hmm. um, because I've sort of shed some of that thinking, which to be honest, big, big, um, institutions tend to, you know, it's a lot of maybe it's when you aggregate a lot of people. I'm not really sure. I'm not, that's not, I'm not an expert in them. I just know that I connect a hundred percent with that feeling that you just Mm -hmm. described. It's really important to, to wake up every day, allow yourself to be the best version of you and always keep in mind other people's opinions about me is none of my business. And then just serve yourself, serve your prospective client, serve your client in the best possible way you can every second of every minute of every hour of every day. And the haters will continue to hate and the lovers will continue to shift. And that's just the way our world rolls. And there's nothing wrong with the haters. Just because they don't align with you doesn't make them right or wrong. It just makes them where they're at and it makes it where you're at. And that's kind of what makes our world go round. It's a beautiful thing about yeah. us. It really is. Jyothi, you know, you have made it to the random round. So welcome <laughs> to the random round. And uh, this, see, for me, I believe success leaves clues. And I like to ask my, my guest experts uh, one or two questions just so that our audience can extract whatever they can from it to apply to themselves. So I'm curious, what is your favorite word and why? Well, we've already talked about productive. So why don't we say uh, curiosity? Oh, I love that. Why is curiosity your favorite word? Got to stay curious. Mm. That's how you find out all the good stuff that's out there. Okay. So one last question in the random round. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? I would probably choose Harriet Tubman. Hmm. She's not the only one, but I'm interested in what it took to activate change, you know, activate um, transformation. If you think about it 
under so much duress, under so much risk, uh, you know, like really what those feelings are, um, not what we read about. I'm wondering if there would be any difference in that personal journey versus, you know, sort of the textbook journey. Mm -hmm. I love that answer. Thank you so much. Your success is important to me, and it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do a few things right now. I'd love for you to hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. That's hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. Second, I'd love it if you'd head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. That's head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. We have an immense amount of interaction on both platforms. We also share different information on both platforms. So we look forward to seeing you there. Last and definitely not least, I love to chat with you, give feedback on the episodes, and find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this podcast more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success you've always dreamed of, desired, and deserved. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. Let's get a 15-minute call on the schedule. I look forward to getting to know you. Always remember this. Choice is a powerful thing, and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so that you can get on your way so you can finally have your way. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication, or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.